Sometimes I think it's easy for us to hear a sermon and then forget it. I just want to remind you of some things we've been saying in here for the past, since about the beginning of August. August the 7th, I preached a sermon called, It's Your Soul, from Psalm 42, where we talked about the fact that you have a soul, and your soul is distinct from your mind and your spirit and your body, and your soul feels things whether you want it to based on what you've gone through in life. And it's not your job to shove it down and ignore it or to put it in charge and obey it. It's your job to find out what your soul is feeling and take good care of it. Direct your soul into God's presence. Give its its feelings a voice. But don't obey it. You don't stuff it. You don't shut it up. You don't obey it. But you take charge and you follow your spirit, you can either take care of your soul or your soul is going to be taking care of you in a bad way. So David, Psalm 42 and 43, models what it is like to actually be able to say very unsafe sounding prayers, but they were honest and they were done in a spirit of surrender. So we talked about taking care of your soul. It's your soul. August 14th, we talked about The absence of Jesus. Do you remember this? Surely I'm with you always, the presence of Jesus. He'll never leave us, never forsake us. He's not going to leave us alone. He's going to be with us. He's going to send us another comforter advocate. That's the presence of Jesus. But we talked about on that Sunday, the absence of Jesus. You will not always have me with you. That until he comes again, we actually fast he says, how can, they, how can my disciples fast when the bridegroom is with them, but the time is coming when the bridegroom will go away, and then, we, then they will fast. And so this whole, that whole sermon came from, blessed are all, or, or yeah, blessed are all who long for the Lord's appearing. And so in that sermon, I said, our job's not to predict Jesus' his return. So that's not our job, to predict it. And it's not really our job to work hard and prepare, although that's kind of involved. But our main job is actually to get so close to the Lord that his absence is something that's painful. And every day we find ourselves looking at the clouds going, is today the day? Is today the day? The second coming is not about panic. It's not about stockpiling goods because you're afraid of China. Actually, there's nothing wrong with having a six-month supply of food in, in your... That's, not, that's just like logic, by the way. That's like having a savings account. But that's not the point of the second coming. When he comes, the fullness of the kingdom comes, death is over, sin is over, the world is set right, and best of all, we get him. Remember what I said? The one Lutheran guy used to walk on campus and say, it's a beautiful day every time he saw the clouds. And his other faculty member said, oh, it can't be cloudy everywhere on the day that Jesus comes back. And he says, people who are in love do not say such things. And then his other guy said, how can you say the Lord's absent? He's with us in the supper. He's in the bread and the wine. He's with us. And he goes, oh, okay. Well, I'm sure that when he rises, when, when, he, when he comes and the trumpet uh, blows and the dead in Christ are raised and we who are alive are caught up to meet the Lord in the clouds and he embraces me in the air with a big old deep hug, I'm sure the first thing out of my mouth will be, you're right, this is just like taking communion. Not. It'll be better. 
So we're, we long for his appearing, not because of a doctrine, but because of a relationship that causes us to be in love with him. That's what we talked about August 14th, the absence of Jesus. August 21st, we, we talked about finishing well from a, per, from a passage where Paul says that he's fought the good fight and he's finished the race, you know, and now what's in store for him? He's run well. He's done it. He, every, he finished, he did the assignment all the way, he ran all the way through the tape. And so I said three things are very important for us to know how to finish well. And the first one is to maintain our love for God our whole life, our first love, our emotional passion, our closeness with Jesus, our whole life. That if that fails, everything else we do is kind of emptied out of its heart. And then the second one was maintain our, our private secret integrity. Maintain our integrity. Because our integrity or our lack of integrity affects everyone connected to us, even in ways that they don't know why. Even if you don't get caught, your lack of integrity is negatively impacting every life you touch. And your integrity, even if no one knows about it, is positively impacting every life your life touches. But it'll all come out in the end. Nothing secret will not be made known, says Jesus. And then the third thing to, to finish well, we said was, fulfill your ministry assignment. Are you like, oh, yeah, we did talk about that. Yeah. Then on a Wednesday, that next Wednesday, I talked about the doctrine of Scripture. And I said, oh, my word, wouldn't it be amazing if the God who made everything and designed everything wouldn't just leave us to figure it out on our own? Wouldn't it be amazing if, if the, the, the God who made everything and designed us to work a certain way and designed life for a certain reason didn't just leave us alone to, 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 to figure it out and, I don't know, try this. But what if, what if he would actually show up? And what if what he did when he showed up would help us know who he is and how to live? And wouldn't it be amazing if then those things he did and said were collected in a book? Wouldn't that be amazing? What would you pay for that book? What price would you pay to get a book that tells you what the reason is you're alive and how to live well? He did. It's called the Bible. And we talked about how did you get a Bible? Who were the people who put together the list of the books that belong in the Bible? How were they selected? Why were they selected? Why was stuff excluded? Why was stuff included? Can we trust the translations we have today and all that stuff? We talked about on a Wednesday night. All this is on the podcast. August 28, on a Sunday morning, I said that a lot of people's gospel is, you sinned, God's mad, he killed Jesus, now when you die, if you believe the right things about that whole thing, then you get to be forgiven the end. That's some people's gospel. If you think the right thing about an algebra equation of divine cross activity, then you're automatically in. And that that's not really the gospel according to Jesus at all, is it? What was the gospel Jesus preached? From that time, Jesus went around Galilee announcing, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I said, that doesn't mean it's coming soon, later on. He means the kingdom of heaven is available here and now. 
You can enter into the kingdom of God here and now. You can become flooded with the love of God here and now. And you can live how I'm teaching you because I'm the rabbi who reveals what God is like. And if you follow me, you can enter the kingdom fully, live by the kingdom's values, the kingdom's power, and you can get free from this present evil kingdom that's reigning in most people's hearts and lives. That's a very different message than here's some algebra. If you'll just say this sinner's prayer, 20 years ago I said a sinner's prayer and I haven't gone to church since and I'm as wicked as I ever was, but I'm saved because I prayed a prayer. Friend, that clearly indicates you don't believe in Jesus because Jesus is not an idea. He's a living person and believe means trust, not think. So we talked about what Jesus' gospel was, the kingdom of God, present. The next Wednesday, we talked about God's godness, that God is so infinite, ancient, eternal, powerful, powerful, and that most of us are so, especially in church, we're, we use the word God so often that we, we shrink God down to a little story about my life and my needs getting met, and my sins forgiven, and my eternal soul, whatever that is, dealing with something later, and, and something about morality now, and we shrink God down to the sort of friendly Santa Claus in the sky who saves me from what I do. And so on Wednesday, we tried to back up and say, hold up, can we deal with the reality that if you can think it, it's not God? Because God, this being we're talking about, doesn't fit in the human mind at all. And that all our thoughts and beliefs are just little signs pointing to a reality. And we tried to blow up our vision of God a little bigger so that when we pray, we know something of who we're praying to. So that when we say God can do all things, that actually seems completely logical, not impossible. If we see God as he is, then we'll know that it's logical to trust him. It's not a leap in the dark to trust God if you see him as he is. Faith only looks crazy to unbelievers. It looks completely rational and logical to someone who has a history and a knowledge of God, which is why Jesus said to the Sadducees, y'all are wrong because you don't know your Bibles and you don't know the power of God. So when we don't know our Bibles and the power of God, when we don't know God's godness, it shrinks God down to what fits in our brain and works according to our little thing. I felt like that was one of the most important teachings I've given in the last five, six years. Then the next Sunday, I said, where art heaven? If, it's, if we're praying, if Jesus taught us to pray to our Father who art in heaven, and we imagine heaven's like behind Mars somewhere out there in outer space, that's really unhelpful. You're like starting with our Father who art far away in a galaxy to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, and to boldly go where no man has gone before. Oh, look, it's God on a throne. Because in a lot of people's mind, the art in heaven means he's he's up there somewhere. And so what we said is, no, actually, the heavens is the air around us. All the atmosphere around us. Our God, who dwells in the space that we live in, that he's a spirit and he's, the physical realm is built on the spirit, not the other way around. By faith, we understand that the worlds were made by the word of the Lord so that the visible 
depends upon the invisible for its existence and for the structure and the nature that it takes. And so when we start our prayers with Father who art in heaven, what we're saying is our Father who surrounds us like the air in this room. He's present. The first thing we got to know as we start our prayers is he's our Father and he's here. And I'm not trying to preach the whole sermon on each of these. I'm just trying to recap. Then Joel came and we said, hey, Joel, talk to us about the gifts of the Spirit. So he did that and so much more. (laughs) He talked about starting a relationship with God. He talked about returning to a relationship with God. If you've walked away from your closeness, he did talk about the nine gifts of the Spirit identified in 1 Corinthians 12. He also talked about what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit and why it matters for our lives. And he prayed and prayed and prayed over many of us for a long time. That weekend was better than I expected. I didn't expect it to be bad. I expected it to be good, and it was even better than I expected. And then last Wednesday, I talked about the relationship between happiness and holiness. How many of you are like me? When you grew up, you thought God wanted you to be good, but you were hoping that when he was done making you be good, there was enough space and time left over for you to also be happy. Am I the only one? I I thought being good didn't seem fun, but God sort of was like, you have to. Like your parents, I eat this, it's bad, it's, it's bad tasting, therefore good for you. So what was good for me seemed to be yucky, and what was bad for me seemed to be yummy, you know? And what was no fun at all seemed to be what they made me do, and what was fun was what they were like, all right, get back in here and stop doing that. So I'd sneak downstairs after school to watch TV illegally. And I remember we had cable, and I'd sneak into the basement, and I'd watch cable. And I didn't realize this, but... Uh, Michael Jackson's, um, the video where he's, he's like on the top of the table and he's like leaning way forward. Yeah. I didn't realize that they put bolts, bolts in the floor, and then they cut notches in the heels of his shoes that would slide into those bolts. He designed that so he could lean way forward. Anyway, that video where he's like leaning all crazy and then all these people come in and start shooting everything up and he beats the bad guys with his dance moves. You know that video? Yeah, I wasn't supposed to be watching that. That was naughty. But that's how I grew up. I grew up thinking goodness is what God made you. God was, wanted you to be good, but didn't care. Happiness was something you did illegally. But goodness was what you had to do. So God's like the government. You got to pay your taxes, but your goal with the government is not to, to know the government. Your goal with the government is to deal with them, as, give them what they need so they'll go away and let me live. I want less of the government in my life. You know what I'm talking? And anyone, am I, come on. So it was like, pay your God tax. No, yeah, exactly. Do I want the IRS? Do I want to be intimate with the IRS? Heck no. My goal is to avoid their notice. And that's how I thought about God. Yeah, you don't want them, you want to give them what they want quick so they'll go away. And that's how I thought about God as a kid. So Wednesday, what we talked about is this idea of Psalm 1611, that in God's presence is fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. That actually, no, Jesus, Hebrews 1 says, God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond all your contemporaries. No one was as happy as Jesus. Now God, the God of the Old Testament, that everyone, that not everyone, but so many people are like, the God of the Old Testament is mean and angry and nasty. I'm like, what are you talking about? We're mean and nasty and angry, and he's super loving and patient and kind. 
He's so incredibly patient in the Old Testament. Yeah, but he killed people. They totally deserved it. But David says, in your presence is fullness of joy. When I'm with you, I come alive. And when I do things your way, I come alive and I thrive. That the only things God outlaws is what erodes love and diminishes joy. That's the only thing. That if you do things God's way, you come alive and you thrive. It's weird to hear Christians talk bad about God's laws. Just because God's laws don't save us doesn't mean they're not right and good and helpful to define what is right. But now I know that everyone wants to be happy. Unavoidably, everyone wants to be happy. Everyone wants to be happy. Some people, because they want to be happy, they will lay their life down for others because they know that ultimately it's more happy to give than to receive. Some people, in order to be happy, think they have to hold on to everything so that they'll have something left over for them. So they're selfish for the same goal, but with a different belief system than the one who is self-sacrificing. But everyone is seeking happiness. And actually, God's not upset about that. He says, why are y'all playing with stupid, worthless trinkets to be happy when the happiness is found here in me and in my ways? Now that I'm more of an adult, I realize that it's not give God the stuff to be good, but then you got to, fun is over here and happy is over here. Now I know he actually cares about my joy. He designed me to thrive. That sin and misery run together as surely as holiness and happiness. So that's what we talked about last Wednesday. All that's on the podcast. I personally like to go slow and read and then reread and then record an audio book for it for myself and then listen to it five more times. Because my goal with truth is not to be entertained by the truth and say amen and then go away going, because I said amen, I got it now. My goal is to get it so deep in me that it becomes my automatic response, that I actually think that way. When I discovered Dan Moeller's victorious gospel of walking by faith and knowing you're loved and being close with God, when I discovered Dan's gospel, which is just the normal gospel, and I heard him tell the story about being in a truck accident, he got into a terrible truck accident, his kid was with him. Afterward, the, the uh, EMTs are there and they're like, sir, can you tell us who was in this accident? Truck's upside down, it's a mess. Can you tell us who was in this accident? He goes, it was me. And they go, please stop joking around, this is like serious, somebody's physically harmed, Where, who was in this? He goes, it was me. And the guy's like, I don't have time for this kind of nonsense. You got to tell me who was in the truck. And he goes, oh, I get it. You think because I'm so calm right now that it can't be me, that I'm lying. Let me tell you about Jesus. Dan's upside down, the truck's spinning, and he's like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen now, Lord. And that's how he lives. So next thing you know, he's praying with the EMT guy who's there to figure out, this guy's not psychologically well. Because that's the only category people have for, for folk like Dan. He must have had a psychological break. He must be off his meds. We need to check him into an institution because you can't be that happy. So when his wife was in a coma at the hospital, he went told his kid, we're going to go wake up mom now. So they show up and they pray for his wife and they go to leave and his kid's weeping and he goes, I know, I know it's hard. I know, come here, it's hard. And he goes, no, you don't understand, shoves him away. What's upsetting you? And he goes, I'm not upset. I'm not crying about mom. I'm crying about you. You don't see what I see. His kid gets it. So when I discovered Dan, I was like, okay. So I put 31 hours of Dan Moeller on my phone, and I only listened to Dan Moeller in the car the whole time, over and over, on a loop, the same teachings over and over, because I'm not interested in going, wow, that was really good. I want to hear it again. No, I don't care if I like hearing it again. I want good fruit in my life. I'm not trying to be entertained by the truth. I'm not doing this because I'm bored. 
I want, I want, when hard things happen, I want to say, Jesus, I trust you to be the first thing. And I'm not there yet, guys. Sometimes the first thing that comes out of me is I get snappy and catty with the people around me because I'm still very anxious about things. But that's where I want to get. You can cut Jesus open, you bump into him, and what spills out of him actually reveals the Father because his identity and his roots run so deep. And he says, if you come learn from me, I can show you how. This is what life can be like in the kingdom. All right. So who wants to share something that happened during the... I just want to say that last Sunday, to see that happen in this church, um, like I say, I've been a Christian all my life. Uh, but, and I was, had that same thing happen to me in the ark down here with Pastor Dave Kaiser. We had a, a revival and we had a man there. We called him the barefoot preacher. He always wore his shoes, regular shoes with no socks. But when he was preaching, he went barefoot. And I got just what a lot of you got here last week. And to see that in this church was just the answer to my prayers because I'd been praying and praying that something would wake this world up and wake everything up. The church is all up because without that, we're doomed. That's all I got to say. So you would like me to take off my shoes? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. I'm just kidding. Now, he, was, he was a fantastic minister. But I get so it. was the one we had here last week. Yeah. And he leaped around just like he did. See, it didn't bother me when he leaped up there on my bench. It didn't bother me. Because I was glad he, somebody was anchoring it down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, bro, these are not screwed to the floor. Watch out. I've seen him get up and run around the church. You know, you know something's happening. Yeah, yeah I, mm, I was just... Blown out of my mind. I was so happy that so many of you people took, yes, and took and got the Holy Ghost. He's wonderful. I agree. So I was looking for Silas because I don't want to. Well, when he called us up, he said, um, for the Holy Spirit, uh, and he said, that'll be at least half the church, and everybody was up here. And it was just like, oh, we were all together in love. And that's what was going on with Silas. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to spoil his testimony, but what's going on with you? And he's just blubbering and stuff. And he said it was, it was God's love. You, you can't even say what's going on sometimes. But Friday night, um, you know, you were saying the atmosphere and that this is heaven. And when that atmosphere and, and like you're in it. And then he, he's just a man. He comes yeah. over and he touches you. Well, he's in the atmosphere too. And that just causes you to go down. I don't know what's going on. And I, I've gone down before, and it's for different reasons. And I never, sometimes I don't know. Right. And then in the future, there, there, it becomes known that it was, it was like a, um, a bonus, a little reserve mm-hmm. that I needed. And um, I don't know what that was for. I'm excited to know what it's for, what I needed. And th- this, oh, and the more, it's just great to be all together, mm-hmm. you know. And um, and Silas and all that. It was yeah, awesome. Precious. It was good. I like how, how one of the things that people are saying is that it was bonding not just for yeah. us with God, but with each other. And that's what I really, you know, I watched how many men were brought to tears. Mm. Yes. Just experiencing the love of God. Just feeling his presence and knowing. And that was... 
I don't know, that just always touches me to see. It's one thing, you know, Rusty always cries, that the Holy Spirit comes on him and he can't talk. Carl. But then to see others that I haven't witnessed that with was really, I just thought it was very awesome. And then, Teresa, you were talking about how you just can't always put into words. And yeah. I was, I don't know what God's doing. No, and I, you know, I was talking to Jaden and Alex because Saturday night they couldn't stand. They, they ended up in their seats, and Jaden was shaking, and Alex was just folded over for like quite a while. And I just I knew that the Lord was ministering to them, so I, I didn't interfere. But Alex, Jaden was having a hard time articulating Alex said it felt like what it might feel like to just have an angel right there going through him. Um, he could just feel like wind and stuff going through him. And so it's different for everybody what they feel because it's each person's personal journey and how they are affected by his presence. And That's true. Yeah. And Rusty, I don't know if he'll say anything, but remember he saw the dove. Rusty sees in the spirit realm a lot. He sees angels, but that Sunday afternoon, he kept seeing a dove circling around, which was, he actually told us that day, which is unlike Rusty. Yeah, and some of us, other people are like, shoop, and they go on the ground, and then some of us just go, I feel peace. And it's really important not to um, worry so much about whether it looks the way you think it's supposed to look, but just to... Honor what God's doing for you. Amen. So two things. Um, like Joel, um, the first night I'm standing there and he smacks me in my chest. And I'm like, what in the world was that? So he goes on doing this thing. And I'm telling you what, it was like, like the Holy Spirit just like, it was like a weight, like just came on me. And I was just like, uh, I'm done. I was like, I was like, I was just done. And, and then um, Sunday morning, just watching people just get, like, just messed up, just, like, blessed me so much. Like, like I just, like, I, as Joel was, you know, praying for people, the Lord told me, he's like, don't go sit back down. He's like, just pray for more of the Holy Spirit. And as he just kept going around, it just, it just super blessed me to see, like, everybody get in touch. Because that's, that's what I like to see. Like, I just like seeing people get, like, just blasted you know and that's what and that's what was happening and and i thought it was like really cool so the first night joel kept giving space for us to just talk to our god just to talk to our jesus is how he would put it just talk to your jesus take time and so a lot of the the really wonderful things that happened for me had nothing to do with joel laying hands on me or, or anyone praying over me it just had to do with me talking to god in this environment where we were in agreement that we need him and we have him. Oh, I need you. Oh, I need you. I think it needs a separate line that says, every hour I have you to affirm my need, but also he's here. And so we, we got to do business and man, that was special. Some of the stuff that I said to him and when Joel prayed for the hunger, do you remember that? I was just feeling peace, but I knew in my heart that the hunger was going to be something that came upon us as a body in the ensuing 
season we're in. So um, several years ago when I was asking God about the clothing closet, about how to do outreach without such hard work as loading things into a truck, I saw a watermelon bus. And I've always been, um, I've always loved the watermelon buses maybe because I'm not from around here. It's just such a fascinating thing to me. And God showed me that it was a vehicle of harvest. And so when we loaded it with clothing and took it out, I knew that we were in that we were harvesting souls. And then um, a year ago, on a Wednesday night, Linda and Stan, in a prophetic word over me, shared again, reiterated that I was going to see a great harvest. And there's times when I, <laughs> I question that because it's such hard work. And Yeah. Um, so that was a year ago, and on that night I went home, and Mike and I always walk the farm lane. We walk together every day, and if it's dark, we walk the lane, and unless it's hunting season, whatever. So we walked the farm lane that night, and they had just started the corn harvest right where we walk. And that was the picture Stan and Linda saw was the corn harvest, and, and that I was going to see a great harvest. A cornfield was what they saw. And then... Last weekend, when Joel um, spoke over Garrett, he called him an evangelist and saw a John Deere tractor that he was going to be harvesting in a way that was unusual, not not a typical. Yeah, forget all the stereotypes. He's an evangelist. And I see that in his personality because he's um, the friends that God's brought into his life. He's very much shares with them the grace that he's learned here, God's goodness, breaking shame and condemnation. He's very intense about that. And I went back to the recording to see if I really heard right that it, it was a John Deere. My grandfather was an Amish farmer, and when he became, when they left the Amish church, one of the most exciting things that he did was buy a John Deere tractor. And one of the only pictures we have of him is him on his tractor. He's a jovial, fun, loving man. Him on his tractor, waving it with a big old smile. His John Deere, we call it the putt-putt because it was an older tractor and my uncle had it until they sold the farm. And then my dad always had a John Deere always wore a John Deere hat, and when Garrett was a toddler, he bought Garrett a John Deere hat, baseball hat, that Garrett wore everywhere. Garrett had a John Deere tricycle, not because we could afford it, but because his grandparents <laughs> thought it was important. Like the little tractor trikes. Yeah, yeah. the trike, yeah. yeah. My brother still has the one that we played with, a tractor trike. So, like, I just, God showed us again that we're going to see a great harvest my father's mantle was one of harvesting. He was a prison chaplain for the last 10 years of his life, a full-time volunteer, and he led people to the Lord almost every week. And I've not ever connected that to evangelistic gift because he never stood on the platform anywhere. Hmm. He was not. He didn't. He finished school at eighth grade and would never have spoken in front of a group. But he led people to the Lord every week for 10 years. I'm just like, God is so good to have reinforced and reminded me of my calling and um, just continues to 
encouraged me to press on. And those snapshots of grandpa and my dad and my boys. Yeah, the generation. Like we're digging in rich soil that's been the ancient wells. It's right there. And we're getting to, we're going to get to walk in that. Yeah, how precious that is. I was in a meeting and this young couple got called out for inner city ministry among the poor. They were already doing it, but Bob Hazlitt was saying it as though it wasn't happening yet, and they were already doing it. And he said, I see you getting a building, and they're like, yes, because they had zoning issues with their after-school program. He didn't know that, but he confirmed that. And I was watching them just weep, and, and I was like, these people are crying their faces off, acting like they just opened up a birthday present, and they're a little girl who just got a pony. And they're, what they're hearing is, go give yourself to people who are going to be hard to deal with, and they're going to bring their issues with them, and they might relapse and they might have identity crisis and they might have grown up in a broken home and they might be bringing all those attitudes and behaviors along with them and you're going to have to help retrain them and they're going to try your patience and you're going to be struggling with money. But God's good and he's calling. They're like, yes. And I'm like, Christians are weird. Because <laughs> that's how people celebrate on the prices, right? When they get the like Hawaii vacation. Yeah. You know what I mean? I've gone back over the podcast I don't know how many times. Probably six, yeah. Um, just listening to the words that were spoken over our prayer team as a whole, but then individually too. And one thing, if, if you did, anytime you've gotten a word, whether it's, you know, hear from one of us or from someone else, I encourage you, you keep a journal, don't you, of all your prophetic words? You keep a journal. Yeah. I have a journal too. And I'll tell you when um, Joel was here, what he prayed over Jaden and Alex was exactly what Bob Hazlitt prayed over Jaden and Alex four or five years ago. And I already had it written down. I go over them from time to time because I'm going to tell you, it really brings you encouragement when you're in a tough season, a dry season. That's what they're there. Yeah, that's what they're there for. And so I am just like blown away at the things that have been spoken over our prayer team. Um, I can't say that honestly any of it shocked me. It, it, It was just good. And so, you know, if you're sitting here Sunday after Sunday or Wednesday night after Wednesday night and you're struggling with something, whether it's a a physical issue, a relational issue, emotional, whatever it may be, you have, man, these guys are just incredible. Their giftings, their heart, give them an opportunity to pray over you. Give them an opportunity to come in agreement with you. Did you turn me off on purpose? Have I talked to you long? Okay. (laughs) That could be the cue. You're done. Right. So um, if that is you today, come up. 